the season of Advent, we have been looking at, we've been looking, walking through a series, looking at the women that are mentioned in Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, you have the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You have 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. And of those 42 generations, you got five women mentioned. And so as we've been studying the, the, the different women that are mentioned, we've been asking the question, why? Why Tamar? Why Rahab? Why Ruth? Um, we didn't get to actually study it, but Bathsheba is also mentioned. If you're interested, uh, Pastor Tim Allen at Evanston Bible Fellowship, he actually uh, preached a sermon last week on, on Bathsheba because we've been doing the same series together. So um, you're welcome to go check that out at Evanston Bible Fellowship's website. But we've been asking this question, why? And we get to Mary, and we don't really have to ask why Mary, right? I mean, like, if anyone is going to get mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, it's going to be Mary. She's his mother. So, of course, she's going to get married. The question to ask tonight is not why Mary, and it's also not did you know. Yes, she knew. I like the song, but yes, she knew. Okay, we can move on. The question we ask is, Mary, why? Mary, why did you say yes? Mary, why would you endure the physical, emotional, mental, hormonal effects that pregnancy can take on a woman, especially considering Mary is, by all accounts, like 14 at the time? Mary, why risk your reputation? Why risk your very life for this? Because if Joseph doesn't believe you, if your family doesn't believe you, you could be killed for what they would perceive to be infidelity. So Mary, why? Now, we don't know the actual thoughts and rationale of Mary in this, these moments, but what we do know, what we do take from the scripture we heard read tonight, I think gives us a little bit of an insight as to why Mary did the things she did. And my hope is that they are the same motivations for why we are who we are and do what we do. And it simply comes down to because Mary trusted in God's word and Mary would respond to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this chance to open your word, to study it, to hear from you, to be reminded of the awesomeness that is the incarnation, the awesomeness that is Jesus coming, God coming and stepping into the creation he made, humbling himself so that he could come and die for us. God, it is so easy for us to get caught up in the fun and silliness and celebration of Christmas to miss or forget why it is we do what we do and are where we are. It's to celebrate you. And so, God, I pray that as I preach tonight, as we study, as we sing, as we hear from you again, that we would be reminded of the goodness and awesomeness that is Christ coming. That we would not lose sight of that, or we would not minimize that, but rejoice in that, celebrate that, dwell in that day by day. God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Mary trusted God's word. So an angel shows up to this virgin named Mary, and of course, Mary has the same response when the angel shows up that just about every human does when they interact with an angel or with some kind of being from God. She is overwhelmed. She is troubled. She is confused. The angel reassures her and tells her, fear not, Mary. 
you are going to be part of God's plan coming into fruition. This promise that got made thousands of years before you, this promise that God was going to send a Savior, God was going to send a Messiah, a set-apart one, one who was going to restore what had been broken by sin, this set-apart one would be fulfilled through you giving birth to a baby boy, Mary. The angel says in chapter 1, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary trusted these words. She trusted the word of God. Now, you might say, of course she did. There's a giant angel standing in front of her. Gabriel's there. Of course she's going to believe whatever he had to say. But history tells us that's not always the case. Abraham and Sarah are told by God directly that they would have a son, that though they are old in age, though Sarah had been barren, that was all going to change. They would have a son, and he would begin the generational line of blessing to the world. How did Abraham and Sarah respond to that? Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Genesis 18, 12, so Sarah laughed to herself. They straight up laughed at God for this idea. They laughed. And then to make matters worse, they decided they were going to help God by having Abraham sleep with Sarah's servant so that he could produce this child that they had been waiting on that God clearly wasn't going to deliver. But we do know that God ultimately does give them the child of promise and begins the genealogy that sets us to Jesus. Moses is out in the desert. He's tending to the flocks and he sees a bush on fire, but that bush is not being consumed. It's just perpetually ablaze. He goes over and he hears the voice of God. Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Moses, I have heard the cries of my people, and it's time for them to get out of Egypt. It's time for them to be slaves no longer, and it's time for them to go to the land I have set apart for them. You, Moses, will go to Egypt. You, Moses, will stand before Pharaoh, and I will be with you every step of the way. I will perform signs and miracles to validate everything you say. I will be with you and back you up 100% of the way, Moses, and you will lead my people out of slavery, you will lead the children of Israel home. How does Moses respond? With every possible excuse he can come up with. Who am I? What am I supposed to say? They won't believe me anyway. I, I, I don't speak so well. Can't you send anyone else? Now again, we know though that God uses scared little Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and slavery and toward the promised land. The prophet Jonah. Lord willing, we're going to study Jonah this year, so I don't want to spoil too much of the sermon series. But Jonah is the reluctant prophet. God tells him, go to Nineveh, Jonah, do your job. Speak my word. Call the town, the city of Nineveh to repentance. Tell them to turn from their sin, for their evil has come up before me. How does Jonah respond? He goes in the literal opposite direction and finds himself in this reverse sushi situation. Eventually, even though Jonah isn't thrilled about it, God shows mercy to the people of Nineveh. Over and over in history, people hear from God. They know God. They have a relationship with God. 
and yet they choose to not trust the word of God. You can take it all the way back to Adam and Eve. They eat of the fruit they weren't supposed to. And there's this verse in Genesis 3. It's Genesis 3.8. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard a sound. Adam and Eve eat of this fruit, and they hear a sound, and they knew that sound to be God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, meaning they knew what it sounded like when God walked in the garden. Meaning they knew and they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. That's the intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. And he gives them one command, one instruction. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do whatever you want with the tree. You can hang from it. You can dance around it. You can carve A plus E for Ev in it. Just don't eat of the fruit. And they do. And sin enters the world a lack of trust in God, the relationship with God, a disconnect appears, which leads ultimately to this. This angel speaking to this teenage girl, telling her about a life-changing, history-altering event that she would be at the center of. And how does she respond? In chapter 1, verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. But how? I'm a virgin. How could that possibly happen? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. Okay, let's go. I'm in. That's her response. Mary trusted God's word. She heard it, believed it, and trusted it. How different would our lives be if we actually trusted the word of God, if we read it and believed what it said? What if we actually trusted when Jesus says in Matthew 6 that we do not need to be anxious about our lives, what we will eat or drink, because our Heavenly Father knows that we need these things? What if we actually trusted when Jesus promised to give us peace in John 14, and he doesn't just give us some peace, not just any peace, not just the world's peace, but his peace? So we need not be troubled or afraid because his peace is one which surpasses all understanding, all logic. It goes beyond our, in, our finite comprehension because his peace is not limited to this world and our understanding of what it can be. What if we actually trusted that if we put our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then as Paul says in Romans 8, we are children of God. And if children then heirs of God fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ. What is due to the Son of God as an inheritance is due to us. What if we actually trusted Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Every word is true. He is our refuge, protector, and safe space. Because you see, when, not if, but when, the world throws chaos and calamity at you, you can find safety, protection, provision, not in the intellect you have, the stuff you possess, or the circumstances of this world, but rather in the perfect, holy God. You see, God's word alters, shifts, and changes everything, and has the ability to do that for us if we choose to actually read it, believe it, and trust it. But as James instructs us, 
We can't just hear the word. We can't just take in information and instruction and not respond. We must also be doers of the word. We must respond to God's word, and that's what Mary did. Mary responded to God's word. She didn't hide from it. She didn't ignore it. She went and spent time with her cousin Elizabeth, making it known she was pregnant. Again, that could have gone really bad for her. If her family decided to, she could have been dead. Mary believed God's word and she responded. She responded by stepping into her role. She raised the son of God. She taught him how to eat. She taught him how to speak. She taught him how to walk. She was to him a comfort, encouragement, a presence of love and compassion. To Jesus, Mary was mom. Mama. Hey, mom. Hey, Ma, what are you doing? That's, that's the relationship that he had with her. And she did all of that knowing full well that he was not like any other person. She knew it. At some point, he knows it, right? The only account we have of Jesus as a child is when he's about 12 years old and he gets lost in the temple. And at that point, he clearly knows who he is. She clearly knows who he is. And though it must have felt overwhelming at times, I mean, parenthood on its own can feel overwhelming at times. But in the back of her mind, she knew she was raising the Son of God. How much more so must she have been overwhelmed? God has a role for you, a purpose and plan for your life. And I'm not talking just big, like, what am I doing with my life? What's God doing with my life? Big picture. I'm talking in the daily grind of life, God has a purpose and a reason. If God gave you today, he's got a reason for it, and it's not just to get you to tomorrow. He gave you today for a reason, and if he gives you tomorrow, it's for a purpose. So I encourage us to live with our eyes and hearts open, paying attention to the Holy Spirit, inviting us into what God is doing in this world. Mary believed God's word and responded with joy. She sings a song of praise. It's a song worshiping, praising, and celebrating God as Savior and Lord, celebrating the mercy, strength, compassion, and grace of God. Mary didn't see the responsibility of being the mother and raising the Son of God as a burden or hindrance. It wasn't an anchor around her neck weighing her down. It was, some, it was not something that she dreaded or was ashamed of. She was thankful and excited and humbled to be part of what God was doing to redeem all things back to himself. Do we feel the same way? When the angel appeared to the shepherds in the field in Luke 2, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news that God came into the world. It is not a burden or a hindrance. I think sometimes we're a little too picky about when, how, and who we're going to share the gospel with. We put these caveats and conditions on it. Jesus told a parable about a man sowing seed in Luke 8. And this guy throws seed everywhere. He throws it on good soil, on bad soil, on thorny soil, on rocky soil, on the path. He just chucks that seed everywhere. And after the parable, Jesus explains the seed that he throws is the word of God. And Jesus doesn't say, don't be like him. Don't just throw it on anywhere. Throw it only on the good soil. No, Jesus just says, 
grow it. Yes, sometimes you're going to put the word of God out there. Sometimes you're going to put the gospel out there, and it's going to be rejected. That's okay. Just keep throwing that seed out there. The reason we are here tonight, the reason for the celebrations and gifts and decorations and parties, it is an all response to celebrate and remember and rejoice in the reality that God has come to earth. While it is on the tips of our tongues, on the forefront of our minds right now, is that going to be the same thing on Monday? Is it going to be the same way on Thursday? How about like six Tuesdays from now? Are you still going to be all full of Christmas cheer? Because it's still going to be good news of great joy. It will still be amazing and overwhelming and exciting. It will still take, but will it still take the same kind of space and excitement in our hearts and minds as it does when Christmas is just a couple hours away? See, it's easy to get caught up in the imagery and majesty of Christmas right now. But the miraculousness of the incarnation does not lose its awesomeness as time marches on. On my social media uh, a couple days ago, I saw a, a message. It was a short clip from, from Jackie Hill Perry. And she talked about for hundreds of years, there is this separation between God and man. Right? Moses couldn't go near the burning bush. The Israelites couldn't go near Mount Sinai. Even within the temple where they worshipped, God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. And one high priest could go into that room once a year. And even then, that guy might or might not die depending on his sin. There was this perpetual, real, tangible separation between God and man. And then this teenage nobody gives birth to a baby in this middle-of-nowhere little town, and all of humanity changes forever. Because for the Son of God to be swaddled in cloth and lying in a manger, that means God had to be touched. For the shepherds to show up and marvel at this baby, these ragamuffin outcasts got to look God in the eyes and live to tell about it. There is amazing mercy and grace in the incarnation. God the Son came and made himself available to us so that we might be able to have a restored relationship with God the Father. God wants a relationship with you. The incarnation proves it. Christmas proves it. Jesus coming to us is proof that God is reaching out to you. Because he knows that we can't reach him on our own. He's too set apart. He's too holy. But he can and did make the first move. He set aside enough of his majesty, enough of his awesomeness to be able to be a person who walked, talked, drank, laughed, cried, lived, and ultimately died so that you and I could stand in right relationship with God by putting our faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mary trusted in the word of God. She trusted what he had to say. I pray that you would trust what his word has to say to you. Because this book still matters. It's still living and active. It is still resonates and reverberates with power, even and especially in today's age. Mary responded to God's word. She lived in light of it in response to what God had to say to her and continued to all the way up to when Jesus died and when he rose again. I pray that you would respond to him. Respond to the invitation given to know God through Christ, 
respond to the invitation to be part of what God is doing in this world, and it starts by realizing you need a sinner, you need a Savior because you are a sinner, and God sent a Savior. He sent his Son to die for you. Because God loves you so much, he sent his Son to die for you. Respond to the reality of why we are here tonight. That God loved the world so much, he sent his Son to earth. God made himself known to us, and he continues to make himself known. To live in light of the incarnation, to live in response to Christmas, is to be drawn closer and closer to Jesus. To have a desire to pursue him, pursue a relationship with him. To be receptive and responsive when he pursues and speaks to us, and he's doing it all the time. God entered into humanity, and that changed everything. Do we live like we believe that? Do we live in response to that? If we think about the things that mark the Christmas season as a whole, love, joy, peace, hope, generosity, intentionality, even the aspect of waiting with anticipation to open up awesome presents, all of that is rooted and grounded in Jesus. Advent, anticipation, waiting, longing, it's all built and comes back to Jesus. All of those things should be marks not of marks of us not only for a few weeks out of the year at the end of the year every year but they should be the mark of the christian people every day moment by moment that's how much the incarnation matters it should filter every decision every interaction every thought that we have the reality that god loves us so much he came to earth he humbled himself to be a person to die on the cross it should filter and change every interaction we have I pray that you would trust God's word, and as you do, respond to it and see how God is going to move in and through you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good, and you prove it in sending your son. You didn't have to. You could have left us. You could have left us. But you didn't. If anything, you came and you made yourself known. You showed up. You spoke this into existence and then you came and walked on the very ground you spoke into existence. God, we can't fathom, we can't fully comprehend the grace and mercy and awesomeness of, of you entering into humanity. We just say thank you. And we can live in response to that reality. It is massive. It is big. It is awesome. It is overwhelming at times to think of. That love, that compassion, that grace and mercy. Lord, let us be a people who are marked by those same things. God, help us to be a people who are known as compassionate and loving and gracious and merciful because we know what it truly looks like, what it truly means because we have experienced it from you. And God, if there are those who hear this and don't know you, who haven't put their faith in you, who are still trying to do it all themselves, who are still trying to run and work and do and accomplish everything to try and impress you, Lord, I pray that this, this right now, in this moment, they would come to know that you love them. And you sent your son to die for them. And that is what, faith in that is, is what you want from them. You have given us the greatest gift. 
sending your son to die for us. Lord, I pray that we would accept that gift and live in response to it. God, you have called us to be the lights of the world. That is a big, overwhelming call. But you wouldn't call us to do something like that. You you wouldn't tell us to go and be these lights if you weren't going to be with us. And we know you are in the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, as we go out into the world, as we celebrate tonight and tomorrow with friends and family, as we see people, as we go back to work and school over these next couple of days and weeks, help us to be those lights you have made us to be. As you show us the opportunities, God, help us to step into those moments in this time. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.